not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Leaning Middle. I'm Eric. And I'm Brian. And today we're going to be taking a look at all of Joe Biden's cabinet picks so far. Everything from his inner circle and the positions that do not need Senate confirmations all the way down to those key role in cabinet positions like economic policy and national security that do require input from the Senate. So um, there's a lot to dive into. We're going to try to do a quick rundown of everybody who's been tapped so far and give kind of a a view from the left, the right, and the middle and see how they're going to stack up as we proceed into this next administration. What are your thoughts on everything so far, Brian? Well, so far it's been – it's hard to get too excited or or too, uh, too bland with it because a lot of these are – like. I didn't even know when Pete Buttigieg was was put as Secretary of, of Transportation. I was at first I was like, "Oh man, that's kind of a slap at at Pete." Yeah, uh, you know who that's that's kind of like a, a pity position. Uh-huh. But then once we kind of dove into it, and I realized exactly what all that entails, and and the actual scope of leadership that that's going to provide, uh, you know, it really kind of makes you go, "Okay." Yeah. Okay, I see where where they're going with this, and and it's really hard. I mean, a lot of these people are no names that you know they're not common common names. I mean, Susan Rice is uh, a common name. Some of those, you know, um, Carrie is a common name that that we've heard in the past and have come to to know and and know a little bit about their background. But a lot of these, you know, I'd never heard of them before, and and I had to really look into what what their policies are what they're doing because you know this is a it's a different time and and um i think there's a lot of a lot of things that you could look at and go yep that's a typical politician move or a typical washington move right there but we're we're coming out of four years of of not typical action and there's a lot on the plate uh, moving forward with the pandemic, the distribution, the recession, um, you know, bringing the, the country together. And I think a lot of these uh, cabinet um, positions or, or appointments really kind of walk the line of, are they really bringing everybody together? Because there's some pretty progressive uh, minded people in there. And then, then you see somewhere you're going, well, I can, I guess I can see what he's trying to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's one of the most diverse cabinets we've ever seen, but is diversity going to uh, be enough to really win over the country? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a big push to make sure that this cabinet um, from top to bottom is best representative of America as possible. And um, a lot of people are being really critical of that. They're saying, you know, they really want the person in parentheses who is best served to uh, fit the position um, to serve there. But that being said, you know, at the end of the day, job interviews exist there's several several people who are fit to serve these positions every single day in our country so 
it's worth noting that um, even while that's like the key argument against it all, I'm uh, I'm very curious to see it play out. I think I'm I'm optimistic currently myself, but well, as you point see, out, there is a lot to be tentative of to see if the cabinet itself can work together. Yeah, it's you know what he's he's getting a little bit of flack on. Uh, not having enough new fresh faces yeah and you know there's there's an argument on both sides you know that's trump did that and uh, did that work out the best best possible still to be seen or Mm -hmm. to be determined um the the flip side of that is he went with people who know how to get things done i mean some of these people have been career long state department employees and or have been in the same leadership department or, or leadership position for eight years before they know how to get things done. What? And yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say the Trump administration gets, it got so good at appointing people within the cabinet where they could get those things done through executive orders. They struggled terribly with getting things really pushed through the Senate outside of judge confirmations. But when it came to finding the loopholes and the intricacies that could be executed through um, executive orders, man, did they, did Trump assemble a dream team? You know, whether you like them or not, in terms of the policy that was enacted, you have to admit, you know, they found ways to kind of get what they wanted across the board. Oh, for, for sure. And, you know, is that right or wrong? That It's still to be determined and, and you're never going to get uh, a majority to, to go one way or the other. <laughs> exactly. I, I think, the, the history books are still to be written on uh, how Trump is going to go down in history. But, um, you know, as far as Biden's uh, cabinet, you know, he's he is assembling a very experienced team. Yes. Um, yes. And but then, you know, you go to, to the other side. His he made quite a few promises about diversity of cabinet mm-hmm. and he is living up to those promises. Now, the one promise that I feel like he is not living up to right now is I don't see very many conservative people in this cabinet. You know, yes, he's, yes. He's it's wanting moderate to be... as at best for many of them. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, there's still a couple of, of seats that need to be filled that are pretty important, but I don't see him filling those seats with Republicans. I, I just don't see it. And I think that's where he's going to get a knock is, um, you know, he, he is not following through with, with that aspect of, uh, of his promises. Yeah, yeah, possibly. But without, let's, let's get started now that we can kind of just okay, jump, down, do um, jump down the list. So we'll start with, you know, who's going ha- to have their, um, their thoughts in the president's ear. And that's kind of his inner circle. So number one is the chief of staff, and that is Ron Klain who he has been a longtime aide to Biden. He has um, worked with him throughout the Obama administration. It was pretty much expected, kind of coming from uh, top to bottom here, that he would be in this role. He's been a longtime personal advisor. He worked with him on the uh, Ebola pandemic in 2014. He worked on senatorial and past presidential campaigns for Biden. Um, So it seems pretty much as expected. So what we can kind of extrapolate from Ron here is we're going to see a lot of 
kind of what we've seen from the Biden campaign this go around. You know, he was heavily involved there. He was part a big part of the messaging. So in terms of what he believes in and what he's going to be pushing for is probably exactly that. Yeah, I, you, there wasn't a whole lot there. And the chief of staff is really it's a very important piece of the cabinetry and, and the the um, the direction that the administration goes. But it's really one of those underappreciated appointments. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you don't hear as much because that is the ultimate behind the scenes guy. Exactly. We've we really got a big look at what that looks like in the Trump administration because the turnover rate was really high. So I think a lot of people's awareness of that position and what it did and what it entailed was uh, was raised during the past couple of years since I, I think he went through five chiefs of staffs or so in the administration. So big, yeah, uh, I mean, big awareness bump. You- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could really go through the list and, and go to the last, let's just say, five five presidents and say, you know, could you name their secretary of states? Yeah. And I bet more people could name the secretary of states of the last presidents than they could their chiefs of staff. Exactly. 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 So, so. but that's that's kind of what I've got on on, on them. Yeah, so let's just – we'll skip some of these weaker ones and take a look at the National Security Advisor next, which, again, this one is no confirmation needed from the Senate. But this is Jake Sullivan, who is – this is going to be interesting, as he was the Deputy Chief of Staff to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. So another Obama carryover, but also a Clinton carryover, and he was the lead negotiator on the Iran nuclear deal. So, man, what what do you feel about that one? Because that nuclear deal was very controversial. It was very controversial, and the landscape has changed greatly. Um, You know, for brevity's sake, we could do, you know, an entire other podcast series on the Iran nuclear deal. It's getting so complex, but it's... It's clear what Biden's intentions are, and that's to try to restore the nuclear deal if Iran is willing. That being said, Trump has done, is doing and has done some serious actions to make sure Iran really does not want to discuss anything with America ever again. So it really comes down to a point um, where there's a lot of options that need to be weighed. You know, in one sense, yes, Iran needs to be limited in its nuclear uh, nuclear ability, clearly, because it's a very aggressive nation and has used very aggressive rhetoric against our allies and others in the region. Um, and then we've seen direct attacks from them as well. So, but on the flip side of that is like the sanctions and the attacks that we're committing on Iran, like there is a human rights aspect to it all. Now, you know, the assassinations have been very condensed and specific, and there hasn't been any really, you know, severe damage, but it's still, you know, it is impacting the populace. Like, people are starting to starve. We have no idea what's going on with the coronavirus um, within its walls, you know, so there's there's things to be weighed on how we best deal with Iran. And the way I feel about it is since it's such a hornet's nest, I'm happy that somebody who has dealt with that before and knows the ins and outs of that government is going to be in that position. Yeah, I you know, and this this is really kind of goes back to the, the argument. A lot of people are saying where it's just uh, Obama 3.0. But 
you kind of need some experience in there right now. I mean, you have allies who are backing away from us yeah. right now, and you have um, foreign uh, governments and, and dictators and that are taking more and more aggressive approach with us. I don't know if I agree with the direction, but I, I agree with having somebody at the table that's been at the table before. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of where I'm at too, is, you know, so much of what's happened over the last four years um, directly plays off of what happened eight years prior, you know, in the Obama administration. And it's like, you know, as much as I would like to see some fresh faces and some fresh ideas, I'm happy the people who are in charge at least have direct knowledge of what, you know, the international landscape looks like today. So that will be that'll be key for kind of bringing in what Biden's been calling for the entire time, which is stability. Well, but the flip side of that is I don't want people in there that are going to just take us backwards. Um, You know, the landscape is completely different than the last time some of these guys were at the table. And is that going to hurt us or, or help us? I mean, Trump is definitely, whether you like it or not, he's put us on a different trajectory. And, you know, how do you spend the next four years coming back from that trajectory? Or do you spend the next four years trying to evolve from that trajectory? So, you know, a lot, in my opinion, a lot of, of the direction that these guys have, I don't know that, I mean, the same players aren't, may not be there. Um, You know, the, the same ideals may have evolved or changed since um, mm-hmm. since Trump really kind of put in a bunch of fresh faces and everything else. So there is an argument to be said that, you know, maybe these guys aren't the right ones. No, without a doubt, without a doubt, it is, it's hard to say, but, you know, and we won't know until we kind of kind of see where they jump into. I will say, you know, the one, the one good thing is they have experience, you know, and that's the the ins and outs and at least knowing just how, how the day-to-day office things work, I think will help them hit the ground running faster than the alternative. But whether that's I, in a I direction that. that's good or not, you know, we'll have to see. But I'm going to rip well, through the, a couple more of yeah, the, the non-confirming needed ones. Um, well, the one I'm really interested is about is the uh, Director of Domestic Policy Council. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to rattle off some ones that we probably won't discuss as they're just kind of, you know, advisors to the president. But for Director of National Economic Councils, Brian Deese, the Director of Office of Public Engagement, Cedric Richard, Richmond, um, Senior Advisor to the President is Mike uh, Dunlillen. Uh, John Kerry is going to be presidential envoy for the climate. That is a new position that is being put into place, which is interesting to see. Um, so looking forward to kind of seeing if that will take off or really, you know, make a difference. It's nice to see somebody in the cabinet will be directly responsible for climate again. Um, but yeah, let's circle back up to one that is going to be controversial, well, even though it's not needed to be confirmed. Go ahead. Uh, the director of domestic policy council, Susan Rice. Yeah, I mean, Susan Rice, she comes with a lot of of experience, a lot of background. I mean, she was former President Barack Obama's uh, ambassador to the United Nations uh, from 2009 to 2013. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then she became his national security advisor. 
And she was also, uh, she was a senior role, or she had a senior role at the State Department during the Clinton administration. So she's kind of um, like, uh, um, who's the other one that you were were saying that, oh, uh, Jake Sullivan. Yeah. Uh, that kind of have, have been there for a long time and have been in this this arena for a long time, maybe not the same roles, but, um, and then of course she's been on the board of directors at, at Netflix. So she left the the public service for a little bit to, to get rich at Netflix um, uh-huh. and, uh, and co- is coming back to it. But uh, she has, she's bringing a lot of, of uh, baggage, baggage with her. She's so bringing, what are your thoughts on Susan? She's bringing more than one B word. She's got baggage and Benghazi um, because that's immediately what everybody's going to scream about um when this comes into play considering she was part of the clinton state department during that um the the incident that happened at the benghazi embassy so um people will be upset of course he made her the director of domestic policy so at the end of the day i think again it's just a stable person that biden trusts her judgment on he knows that she's a sensible individual and uh you know wants to get her take on the different things that they're going to try to enact so i'm not super worried about that specifically but there will be a lot to oversee you know for domestic policy council in terms of what the future is going to look like and you know how effective will the vaccine be what will domestic policy look like as you know we uh, emerge from the pandemic it is it's just all these roles that normally wouldn't be something that you would consider for a long time in your head all of a sudden you know take on a new light in unprecedented times yeah and i think that with with her baggage in, in benghazi i think that's one of the main reasons why she ended up in this uh particular position where she didn't have to go through a confirmation um and because i know she was a a name being thrown around for vice president quite a bit. Yep. We discussed that in a previous um, podcast where we were concerned about the Benghazi aspect of, of that and the baggage that she was going to bring. Um, and you really kind of put a, a low probability for her to be named vice president when we were trying to, to guess yeah. uh, who that was going to be. But I think, you know, this is a good role for her. Uh, I think, you know, like you said, one of the things that he's doing is he's putting leaders in, in positions who aren't afraid to pull the trigger mm-hmm. and, and get things done and who he can give direction to. And then they're going to uh, go off and they're capable enough to uh, manage through this without him having to really worry about it. And, and it's like you, you mentioned earlier in the this podcast where, you know, Trump really managed with executive order. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like. And it looks like Biden's putting people in place where he's not going to do as many executive orders. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, but she does have, she has a lot on her plate coming in. Without a doubt. So let's jump down to economic policy and take a look at the secretary yeah. of the treasury with uh, Janet Yellen, who again uh, was the chair of the fed for the, for four years um, between both the, Obama and the Trump administration. So she has experience in both, you know, kind of pre-Trump and post-Trump or during Trump. And uh, as well as just kind of a well-established person in all the economic departments. What are your thoughts on this one? 
Um, I think this one is a safe one. Yes, definitely. I, I, she she is probably a little bit more of that middle running um, choice. I don't think she, from what what I could find on her, mm-hmm. she's not much of the um, political no. uh, beast as much as she is a number cruncher and understands finance and understands economics. Yes, and uh, she brings enough with her that I kind of feel comfortable with the direction that, that they're going to go with this one. Yeah. And like, I think it, I think it was the right move. I think it was, I think it was a natural progression for Janet Yellen to come to this position too. I mean, she has, um, I mean, just a flawless like lifetime of service and, you know, education is renowned. Like she is, she's the top dog in the, in this business. So I think it's, yeah. I think it's a safe, I, solid bet that conservatives will say, okay, cool. You know, nobody flashy. This yeah. is, this is a, a department that just needs to be run the way, you know, based on math, based on economic policy. Yeah. I think they're going to be hard pressed to find a reason not to confirm her. Yeah. But as we jump so. down to the council of economic advisors, the chairperson for that is Cecilia Rouse who is, again, very long um, established in labor as well as um, economic advising throughout the Clinton administration. And uh, but she is getting heat as potentially being somebody that is being appointed because um, she's black. So it's kind of absurd that that's really an issue, considering if you look at her resume, she really does have the experience to carry this. But in terms of policy, I'm not really sure what to expect from her. I I don't know enough about her to really have have an opinion. Um, you know, she's obviously talented. I mean, she served as a member of the um, CEA during the Obama administration, was part of the National Economic Council during the Clinton administration, you don't do this for multiple administrations without knowing what you're doing. Yeah. So especially for both Bush administrations to roll by and Obama wanting her input enough to bring her back at that point. Right. And so I think, you know, I think it's unfortunate that the biggest heat coming down on her is that she's getting it because she's black. Um, I I think that's, (laughs) unfortunate but it's unfortunate that that's where we are in our government that people can't earn a position of leadership in a government without it being a race card Mm -hmm. so i i agree full scale and i want to jump down to the u.s trade representative because this one involves china this is gonna be Catherine tai who is an incredibly accomplished individual who has served on several different um, positions within the Obama administration, but she was specifically responsible for China trade enforcement issues. So it seems like Biden... With with Obama, right? Yes, with Obama. So it seems Biden is immediately putting putting forth that, okay, you know, the individual that was specifically responsible for trade enforcement within China is going to lead U.S. trade. So that's a pretty, you know, big step saying, hey, we're taking China's sphere of influence and its economic influence more than anything pretty seriously. But do you agree with the policy behind it? It's the big question. 
Well, and, and I think that unfortunately is is what she's going to be graded on. It that is a bigger question than the cabinet position mm-hmm. um, because I mean that's the debate uh, across the board. I mean that's what Trump basically ran on and and recampaigned on is his fight with China, yes. make America great again, and uh, creating this trade war with with china and you know has china done horrific things yes mm-hmm. uh have the tariffs helped that is that's the debate yeah because there's a lot of industries and a lot of things that those tariffs came in and they caused prices to go up yep and the tariffs came in and they they crippled a couple of industries absolutely and you you have to ask yourself is trump's direction better for the united states or was Obama's direction better for the United States? I mean, it's yeah. obvious with this appointment that we're going back to what we did with Obama. But the the question really comes down to not a matter of who's at that table as much as it's a matter of uh, philosophy. And, you know, China needs to be brought down a notch or two and, and they need to, you know, be held accountable for their actions and they're they're just straight up technology theft and their their policies for US venture um, capital and and everything else. I mean, mm-hmm. they just voted to let bank uh, US banks in there now, right? Yep. So, you know, the the question really comes down to what impacted all these tariffs and and the the direction and the rhetoric that Trump had, what direction is that or what impact is that going to have on her ability to move the needle one way or the other? Because, mm-hmm. you know, China was they were very vocal about, you know, maybe Biden would be the best one for him. And then people got all upset that China came out and, and basically said they look forward to working with Biden because we were going to just lay down and, and give everything back to China and and everything else. Well, you got to also understand that China owns most of the United States debt. Exactly. And what impact does that have? I mean, that that's something that, that not a lot of people talk about is, mm-hmm. you know, how invested China is in us. Yes, exactly. We're, we're bound together, you know, regardless of where we're going. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Personally, I think, um, It'll just be interesting to see if they if China kind of wants to come and play nice, you know, or if they get to a point where they're like, eh, you know, we can we're going to try to navigate this in a way that we don't we no longer need that input. But I think people need to remember with tariffs is even if Biden does remove tariffs is tariffs aren't paid by China. They're just a price put on by the U.S. government that decreases incentive for the buyers within America to use those products. So it, it's it's a cost that's directly coming from the companies. It's directly coming from the American industries. It's not necessarily, it's a cost put on an American industry to punish another country. It's not, it's not necessarily. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's like, well, tariffs are good in some instances and in, in some other things that we've seen with some crops where tariffs have been put on it, it's really crippled some farming industries in America. Um, so let's take a, well, and, oh, and that's, ahead. what's interesting to me. Sorry. Yeah. And, and that's what's, you know, we live in West Texas and, 
and uh, the agriculture is big around here. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of farmers across the country that are pro-Trump. But when you look at his agricultural um, trade deals with China and the impact that they had on our farmers, it, it surprises me that they still are big Trump supporters. I know, I know. It really depends on the region. You know, it depends on what kind of has taken place during the Trump administration in these different states, whether you have like crisis in Iowa where they were getting decimated because they grew a lot of soybean and corn and then they had the derechos that ripped through there versus, you know, some of the other Great Plains states that, you know, had a relatively successful farming season. Um, you know, right. it hasn't been terrible for cotton. I, I don't know, um, you know, compared to the last 40 years, what have you, but I know it was pretty similar to years past. So in West Texas, yeah, nobody has too much to really get too upset about, but right. it is, uh, well, it's a cultural thing as well. But I think we should also take a look at who he's tapped for um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture while we're on the subject. Um, okay. When you it, this is an interesting one, as it is a it's Secretary of Ag, and it's uh it's safe. It is Tom Velasic, who is the uh, former Iowa governor, and he was the Secretary of Agriculture both uh, during both terms under the Obama administration. Administration, and I think a lot of people are just really excited about this. Apparently, you know, farming was doing very well under the Obama administration. And a lot of the different people that um, are familiar with the former governor said it's an excellent pick. Um, Currently, uh, well, the Senate, uh, who's the senator from Iowa? Greenlee, what was his name? I have I, I don't remember completely slipping my mind. Well, we're not experts. Wh- here. Whatever you say, I will agree with. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he is he's very excited about it, and he's a prominent uh, Republican. He's actually in the line of succession for the president, so he is he's satisfied with that pick. And I think again, it's a step back to say like let's you know maybe it's a peek into the idea that we're probably going to peel off some of these tariffs and provide as much relief as we can to the farmers who have kind of been hit hard, whether it's from weather, economically, the pandemic, what, what have you. I, I think he's a safe pick, but that's what makes him a, uh, a targeted pick as well. Mm-hmm. Because again, he, he's got the experience, but he's one of those that, that have been wrapped up with the previous administrations. And I think a lot of people, especially um, you know, the GOP and, and the further right you go are, are going to target him just because he was Obama's guy. Yeah. And, you know, which, which is interesting. Um, and, and I've got, you know, something to say about that in a few minutes too, but um, you know, that's going to be his knock is, is, you know, it's a, it's a experienced Obama guy, uh, previous, previous guy, not a new face. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think if you listen to the people who are in that particular industry, uh, agricultural industry, yeah. they are excited. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's there's nothing that I've really heard from any of the agricultural leaders around here that are saying, you know, oh, we're screwed or anything else. They're yeah. going, all right. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Swallowed down the wrong pipe. No problem. Uh, he's got me so excited. I'm choked up now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, 
but uh, yeah, he's a, he's a safe one. Yeah. So um, let's jump up to national security now. These are going to be ones that will yeah. need to be Senate confirmed. And first and foremost, Secretary of State is Tony Blinken, who was President, uh, Vice President Biden's, or President-elect now Biden, um, direct security advisor um, while he was um, vice president. So he's worked with him for eight years. He's directly advised him. It's a relationship that I think they formed. Again, it's not not a huge surprising move here. And a lot of people feel that this is pretty safe. I think a lot of people were scared that this could end up being somebody very, very progressive. And I think a lot of Republicans will be like, okay, he's a moderate. We'll take that. Yeah. Well, this is one of those cabinet positions where you really don't want a fresh face. Yeah. Like you want somebody who's tried and experienced and, uh, you know, solid, and these are all words that are have been used with with him. And I think that this is a good pick. I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's going to be something that uh, he's going to have to rely on very well. And if you're going to have to rely on somebody uh, to give you give you that, you need someone you're familiar with that you trust um, and that you aren't doing a on the fly job interview with. And yeah, I think this particular cabinet position is a, a good move for him for sure so looking at the secretary of defense this one is controversial again as we have lloyd austin who is a retired four-star general um served in the military for 41 years he was the head of the u.s central command and more than anything if he is confirmed he will need a special waiver to be signed because um for this role, you need to be a civilian for at least seven years, and he would be coming in with only four years of being a civilian. So a lot of people are throwing up questions about if that will be kind of just shot down by the Republicans as easy prey. But um, seems to be a pretty good pick. It's somebody with a lot of experience. He's a four-star general. You know, that's those are that's usually kind of how that de- Secretary of Defense is filled. But what are your thoughts? You know, this is one of those those positions where I really go, you know what, don't ask me, ask the military. Yeah. How, how do how does the military personnel feel about it? And I haven't heard anything one way or the other about it from from the military. But in a, a situation like this, I always really kind of go, you know what, I don't know. I don't know what all goes goes into that. And um, you know, you need someone in there that has uh, experience in being in the field, experience in leading operations, experience in um, understanding the the depth of the decision making that that's going to be taken taken on there. And you know, this is to me, it's it's a a pick that I really don't have an opinion on because I just it it wouldn't be right for me to really have that big of an opinion without talking to the people who it directly affects because this isn't like uh, something in one of these other cabinet ones where if, if something goes awry, you know, people lose their jobs. Well, in, in his particular cabinet, the decisions that, that are made and then the operations and, and everything else have lives that are, are affected by this. So um, I, I kind of step out of that one. 
Yeah, there is. There's a couple people saying that he really might not be taking China as seriously as they need to be taken from a military perspective, too. You know, I think he has a lot of experience fighting the war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, I, you know, that might be where his focus is when really the uh, a lot of people are worried about the military buildup. <coughs> Excuse me. The military buildup happening in China right now as well. So especially, you know, with Taiwan and Hong Kong, there's a lot. It's a powder keg forming in the South China Sea. So we're going to have to see what happens there. Um, I think he might have some trouble getting that confirmation through the Senate, though. I I would be curious to see what his take on um, cybersecurity is as well. Yeah, because I, I feel like that's where our biggest threats Mm-hmm. Are, are coming and that that is a defense department um wing so so they are going to have to take take that into consideration but if the next if the next leadership doesn't take cybersecurity seriously we are going to be in a world of hurt yes absolutely it needs to be a number one uh priority and i imagine you know it's mostly classified dealings were pretty on the ball but what worries me is i think our intelligence is really far ahead of where we're actually protecting things from the general public is you know maybe we're able to hack into other countries very easily but we don't realize just how susceptible you know how many points of contact americans have with the internet every single day so it'll be a continuing battle for them to see if they can figure out a way to stop influence yeah and you know i've talked to a gentleman that is in the cybersecurity um world and and not like private he is in the public sector he Mm -hmm. is in the military and um he has some very specific points of view on exactly where we stand in the world on cybersecurity and cyber capabilities yeah and um you know it's somewhat scary i mean you sit there and you go Hey, you know, we're, we're the most dominant world power out there and we have the most dominant military, but we don't when it comes to cyber security. No, and no. I, I do, personally believe that Do you know who he next, said is number one? Uh, no, I, I didn't ask that question. Ah. It's, I, I imagine I think it's my, China, but who knows? It, it was over beers and my brain doesn't work that fast over beers. <laughs> I hear you. So, but... But, uh, you know, his his comment was, and, and I agree with, is the next world world war isn't going to necessarily be a, a ground battle as much as it's going to be a cyber battle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think this position, that person needs to be really on top of the, the cybersecurity as well, because I, I don't feel like, and, and according to him, it, it hasn't been a area of importance as much as it should. Yeah. I absolutely understand that. So for the Secretary of Homeland Security, this is going to be a um, controversial pick as well. So this is Alejandro Mayorkas, who was the Deputy Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security during Obama's second term. But before that, he was the Director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration from 2009 to 2013. So Biden's picking somebody with a big, heavy focus from Obama's immigration policy to lead the Department of Homeland Security. I I feel like this one might be might be trouble, and, and I don't like this pick. 
What is what was what worries you in terms of the immigration policy um, or Alejandro in general? I, because what worries me the most right now is you are putting you are tapping someone who is, uh, depending on your point of view of immigration, is directly involved with one way direction. And there is not much give or take in, in this particular pick. And I feel like in this particular cabinet position, you need someone who's going to be a little bit more negotiable yeah. on, on certain, certain aspects of it. And I don't feel like he's, he's going to be that way. He's, he's going to be dismissive of the voice of four years ago. I mean, this is one of, if not the largest, I mean, China being the other, but this is what Trump ran on in four years ago, which completely blindsided and surprised the Democrats and, mm -hmm. and Hillary Clinton and got him the presidency. And this is a very volatile subject in this country. And you tapped someone who is decisively one-sided. Yeah. Now, it is important to note that, as you were talking beforehand, the, the uh, Homeland Security Secretary actually does oversee counterterrorism and cybersecurity. So, oh, okay. So, that well, that's better. I, I, I was wrong on the, the defense side. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, that, that makes me feel a little bit better there because I do know that he's a little bit more engaged uh, in, in that side, but, or with that point of view, but I, I still think, I, I just still think this is one of the most controversial ones that, that he's put in there. <laughs> I, I, I can absolutely see it. So the director of national intelligence is Avril Haynes, who is, uh, was, Obama's deputy national security advisor and uh, the deputy director of the CIA. So she is coming in with a ton of national intelligence experience um, working as number two in both of those positions. But what do you think about this one? I think she might actually be the first woman to take the role. Yeah. She would be the first woman to she head is. national intelligence if she's confirmed. Yeah. I, I don't have an issue with this one. Yeah, I think this one will be pretty smooth in terms of, you know, what she's capable of and uh, the resume that she's carrying. So, yeah, I mean, when when you really dive down and look at her her resume and her experience, there's a there's really not a lot to argue with. I mean, she yeah. has literally paid her dues and has, has worked her way through and uh, it, it almost is a natural progression for her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Somebody who's worked with Biden, you know, since he was in the Senate. So um, that one will be interesting to see if the GOP Senate feels the same way. But next we have the ambassador to the United Nations, which this one was a hot discussion topic. There was a lot of people that th they were up for debate if they could uh, grab this role. And it ended up being Linda Thomas Greenfield who is um, just a diplomat, you know, it's somebody that kind of came out of uh, left field because names like Pete Buttigieg and Susan Rice were being thrown around for this position. But um, she was the uh, assistant secretary for the Bureau of African-American Affairs and uh, the U.S. ambassador to Liberia, among, among many other uh, locations that she's served ambassadorships for. So it sounds like somebody that has been 
all over the world living um, as an ambassador in many different countries with a focus on Africa. So that is interesting as a representative to the United Nations. And I'm excited about it. Because I'll tell you why. I think, you know, what the United Nations is focusing on primarily, you know, in terms of what it actually does is it's a human rights organization. You know, we need that's really all it can step in and do and kind of shut things down or open things up with conflict. And we really are at a point of when conflict happens, the UN's not doing anything to certify it or decertify it. They can say that they're deeply concerned about this or that, but they really have no power. Where they do have power is human rights campaigns. And I think that we can direct a lot more focus of where we put our aid money as a government towards Africa. And I'm happy to see somebody with experience in that role stepping up as the advisor to the UN to hopefully shape our international policy in that direction. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. And uh, I don't know a whole lot about, about her, um, but I did, I was kind of leaning towards hoping to see Pete there. But after reading her, her bio a little bit more, I think she's probably a better better pick for that. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about Pete's uh, appointment there to the Secretary of Transportation, which, again, nobody truly expected. Um, he was expected to have maybe a higher profile, in quotes, role there, maybe more public-facing, considering he is a uh, Democratic sweetheart for another presidential run in the future. But... Biden taps him for transportation, which is very interesting. Yeah, again, I, you know, at first I was kind of thinking this was a slap in the face. But after you you kind of break down what it is that uh, this particular position oversees and and the interaction that it has, it it kind of made me a little bit excited. And they're saying he is a fresh face and and he is. and this gets him, I, I don't know how much of this was Biden's doing versus how much of this was the Democratic Party going, hey, here's the future of our party mm-hmm. or one of our rising stars. You need to get him groomed um, because it almost seems like a grooming type situation. It's I personally believe that that Pete probably could have done a more high profile position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's, he's very, very articulate, very, very smart, very, very fast. Um, But uh, I, I don't, I don't see anything now. You worked on his, his campaign. So what are your thoughts? I think it's a good position for him to jump into because I think he would have been shot down in anything a little bit bigger or, with more responsibility on a world stage, just because he does lack that federal experience. Of course, you know, he served in the armed forces as, as an intelligence officer, but at the end of the day, I think if you're going to try to put somebody as, you know, he was getting thrown around even for secretary of state for a little bit there, you need more federal level experience to take that office. So I think secretary of transportation is a good kind of jump in for a mayor of the size of the city that he operated in. He was pretty intense with his infrastructure plan that he implemented in South Bend. That is really up for debate whether that was a success or not. There's a lot of um, cries from the public that it was not um, done correctly and just bulldozed a lot of low income homes and gentrified areas and kind of just made Uh, people of color have to move around their areas to facilitate the new downtown um, 
kind of refurbishing that he did. But that being said, South Bend is doing well in terms of interacting new industries and their sewer system actually using technology to track um, its movements. They were able to save over $100 million over a couple year period. So he's definitely implemented some smart ideas. He definitely has vision, but I think it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to let somebody who they're going to argue doesn't have experience take this role. Well, and I know we need to wrap it up here, but I, I have one question for you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Pete might fit this answer. And that is somebody has to get shot down. Somebody, the, the GOP is going to have to, in my opinion, they, the, in order for them to make a stand to try and retain some of the Trump uh, fan base yeah. or, or his, his block and try to maintain some type of GOP driven rhetoric. Um, They have to, they have to target somebody. Who do you think that that person's going to be? I think they're going after general Lloyd uh, Austin immediately to bring up the issue with him. will need needing a uh, waiver to serve. So that's immediately going to raise question. I think, uh, like you said, Alejandro Mayorkas um, could also be somebody that they bring up as problematic. Then at the end of the day, you know, we could also see what happens is they just do a full sale push against them. You know, they could just be very obstructionist. But I think if they need to do some sacrifices, those who are I put on my list, I think Pete could skirt by as transportation just because at the end of the day, it's not it's not a role that can do a lot of damage. Yeah, exactly. But if, if they, if they buck against that one, it's going to be because they're, they're trying to stifle his future. Exactly. So to me, it's Alejandro. I I think that's going to be the, the one they go after and and fight the hardest on. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but we'll see. And it may all be a, mute point if uh we win georgia or they win georgia that's the other side of it all it could be very very easy and all of these people will walk right into the offices that they've been appointed to so we'll have to monitor the situation closely here as january comes closer and closer absolutely well i appreciate it and uh we hope you guys learned something about the cabinet uh positions and Uh, It doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. It's time to lean to the middle. And we look forward to exploring that common ground with you next episode. Make sure to like, subscribe, review, do everything you possibly can. Um, Tell your friends and family over the holidays when you're home about us and say like, hey, you know, I've been listening to these two pretty sensible guys. We'd love to love to get everybody else's thoughts on what we're saying. And uh, follow us on Twitter at leaning underscore middle.